matter how I write it, the outcome doesn't change. I screwed up. Oh, that's an understatement. He trusted me and I failed him. How did I even get here? I was on the fast track in a banking career, working my way up the corporate ladder. I made more than just a comfortable living. Had the lake house, the boat, at least two tropical vacations a year. I was just ready to purchase a condo just in time for ski season. And then he came along. And I gave it all up for a stranger. I gave up everything for bad hotels, convenience store meals, no real income. It wasn't all bad. I did see him lay down some crazy miracles. <laughs> I even saw him bring a guy back from the dead. He was saving people. Leave it all behind and follow me, he'd say. We can save the world, bring people to God. Well, who wouldn't want to be part of something big? Of course I followed. I followed the man that said he could give me eternal life. I guess I blew my chance at that. Did I do it for the money? Did I really throw it all away for the money? No. No. I had good reason to turn him into the authorities. He was losing his mind. He put me in charge of the finances. Hey, I'm a money guy. I have no problem with that. But the way he just gave it away to the homeless and the street people, without any thought to the 12 of us, he was feeding the poor steak and shrimp. Well, his 12 closest friends ate rice and beans or didn't eat at all. Or what about when he let that woman pour out her insanely expensive perfume just to make his feet smell good? Do you have any idea how much I could have got for that on eBay? We 
could have done something good with that money, something useful. Traveling is expensive, I'd tell him. You just can't give away everything we have. But he wouldn't listen. He was losing his focus, becoming irrational. So I had to turn on him. All right, yes. I betrayed him. But he knew it was coming. I could tell. When I went to give the signal to the authorities, I looked him in the eye. I could tell he was expecting it. But you know, maybe he knew he deserved it. That he'd given me no choice. The authorities were after all of us, looking for just one person to screw up. He was the leader. He should be the one to take the fall. Not me. Not any of the rest of us. I wasn't the only one, you know. The media surrounded us. Peter denied ever even knowing him. Others failed him. But I led the wolves straight to him. How was I supposed to know they were going to execute him? I figured they'd just put him in jail for a while. Not, not kill him. But no matter how I write it, The outcome doesn't change. I was just doing what I thought was best for... It wasn't about the money! <laughs> At least that's what I keep telling myself. That it wasn't my fault. But no matter how I write it, the outcome doesn't change. It's done. Dear, 
Peter. I'm at the end of my rope. And there's no going back. things that's true for all of us is that we've been betrayed or we've betrayed others. That's just a reality of life on this planet, that every one of us at some level, we've been betrayed by somebody, and at some level, we've betrayed other people. Now, maybe not quite as bad as Judas betrayed Jesus, but we've all been betrayers. We've all been betrayed. We know the pain of that. Would you bow your heads? Let's just begin with the word prayer. Father, I pray today that you'd open our hearts to hear from your word, to encourage us to uh, seek you, to look to you to find you in the midst of our pain. Lord, whether we are the cause of that pain or the brunt of it, I pray, Jesus, today that you bring wholeness and healing and some hope back to us. That you would let us see, Lord, that in you we are never truly at the end of our rope. Because of you, it's never too late. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have gathered, we're going to take a look at the story of Judas today. And I uh, mentioned last week uh, that I have never taught on Judas in my entire life. I don't really know why, um, maybe because it's just a, a topic that's somewhat difficult to deal with, maybe it's something that we don't really want to take a look at. Um, I've, I've known a couple of Judes in my life, but I've never known a Judas. We, we, his name is synonymous with betrayal. And today we're going to take a look at this issue of betrayal, what to do if you've been betrayed, and uh, all of us at some level have been, and what to do if, in fact, we are the betrayers. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Luke, the 22nd chapter. The story is also found. It's found in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 as well. But before I get into Luke 22, let me give you just a little bit of the background of what's going on here. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has uh, gone there because he, he knows he's going to die, that he's going to give up his life, that he's going to die a horrible, gruesome, horrible death on the cross. And he's trying to prepare his disciples for it. They didn't get it. They knew something was up, but they really didn't understand. Uh, he uh, has what we, we had, what we call, we refer to as the Last Supper with his disciples. Judas takes off from there to go and uh, hook up with the, the powers that be to betray Jesus. The other guys go to a place called Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just outside of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a quiet place. And he goes there to pray. Knowing what's about to come, Jesus goes there to get on his face, literally, and the crowd of God, oh God, oh God, if there's any way possible, remove this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And he's, he's in, in agony over what's going on. He asked Peter, James, and John, who were closer to him, to pray. He comes back, finds them sleeping. They didn't do so well in the prayer uh, arena for, uh, at that moment. And uh, we pick it up in verse uh, 47 of Luke 22. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who approached him, uh, and, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? There's our tweet for the day. Jesus, are, it says to Judas, are you really going to betray me with a kiss? Verse 49, when Jesus' followers saw what he was doing, going, going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. Stop it. Cut it out. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. I find that amazing. Even 
in this moment of betrayal, Jesus is thinking of others. I want you to use that God-given imagination that you all have. Now, some of you are more imaginative than others, but I want you to try to see what's going on here. I want you to see that Jesus is stressed and, and he is weary and he is in agony. He, his, he is in a really hard place. They're in a, a dark and quiet place, this Garden of Gethsemane, and the disciples are confused and clueless and sleeping, not doing very well. And they're wondering, what is this whole evening, what's it all about? They're just, it's, it's strange, it's peculiar, they don't get it, and so there's an awful lot of, of confusion going on here. Now, from the distance, they see the torch lights and a large crowd, the Bible says, a large crowd coming at Jesus, and they're carrying swords and clubs. And the very front of that group, leading them to Jesus, is Judas. I cannot imagine how Judas uh, could do that. I can't imagine how Jesus must have felt, how angry the disciples probably were when they saw Judas and began to realize, no, there's something going on here and it's not good. But the guy that Jesus walked with for three years, the guy that Jesus invested his life in, a man that he loved deeply, and he did. Judas is now leading the crowd to him. And Judas comes up to Jesus with arms open wide and goes to, to kiss him, which was a, we think that's kind of strange. No, nah, it was a customary greeting in that time. And it was the sign that Judas said, I'm going to use to show you who you need to grab, who, who's, the, who's the culprit here. And with deep, I, I, again, I want you to hear this just Get this into your, your heart. With this deep sadness and this, this incredible sorrow in his eyes, Jesus looks at Judas and says, are you going to betray me with a kiss? Judas, is this what it's come down to? Now, it should bring some comfort to you, and I hope it does, that uh, Jesus was betrayed. Not that he was betrayed, but that he understands our betrayals. It should bring some comfort to us to know that the one we follow, the one we give our, have given our lives to, the one we call Lord and Savior, understands what it's like to experience that incredible pain and the suffering that comes with being rejected and betrayed. He understands. Well, what should we do? This first part I want us to take a look at. What do we do when we've been betrayed, when we've been the, the ones who've been wounded? And here's the first thing if you're taking notes today, number one in your outline, be prepared before it happens. I want to suggest long before the betrayal that there's some things you can do and should do to prepare yourself. And, and here's, here's what's important for you to remember. What was Jesus doing in that moment? Where was he? He was in his garden in prayer. He had prepared himself for what was coming. Jesus had taken his disciples to this quiet place, to a place without any distractions, and to a place of prayer. It was not uncommon for Jesus to withdraw to pray. But I want you to see that's where he was and what he was doing at that moment of betrayal that came from Judas. You know, honestly, for the first 20 years or so of my life, I had no uh, regular pattern or practice of prayer in my life. I'd grown up in the church. I'd become a Christ follower when I was a child, really dedicated my life to Jesus when I was 15. And uh, I was serious about my walk with God, but quite frankly... If you'd asked me as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, what's your prayer life like? I go, my what? I didn't, I didn't have any real practice or pattern of prayer. I tended to only pray when I got into trouble. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think a lot of you can relate to me. You know, we get into a pickle, something goes sideways, we lose our job, we lose our health, we lose money, our kid goes off the deep end, something happens, and boy, suddenly we are, we're, we're focused on God and praying. 
Now, in my life, I, when I got into trouble, I prayed. I, of course, did the obligatory prayer before meal, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. I mean, I, I would pray. I, I, had, I had moments of prayer when people asked me to pray, you know, especially if it was in a crowd and, and I was asked to be the spiritual one, I would step up and pray. But most of my urgent and desperate prayers came when I was, again, in a difficult place. And then I'd suddenly become this great prayer warrior and this passionate prayer warrior for God. And again, it's true for many of us. We turn to God in a crisis. When my oldest son, uh, Nathan, he's actually born a deacons here in Spokane. When he was born, he had some complications. I won't digress and tell you all what's going on, but there's some issues. And at one point, it was actually the doc says he could die if we don't deal with this. And, and his, his life is at risk, and his health was at risk, and it was serious. And it quite literally, there I was again in that crisis, it quite literally drove me to my knees in prayer. I mean to tell you, I got serious then about my prayer life. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please don't, don't take my son. Please heal him. Please spare his life. And the, the truth is God did intervene and there was some great things that happened and, and he, he survived that and in fact came out of it even stronger I think than, than he was before. But I had a friend of mine, some of you know Joe Whitworth. Joe's been my friend for 35, 36 years. Joe was my pastor that time uh, at Life Center. I was here in the early days of Life Center. And he asked me a question that it, frankly, uh, at first it really ticked me off and then it really provoked me. He said, Kurt, were you prepared before the storm hit or did you just panic in the midst of it and seek God in prayer? And I, you know, it's like, ah, I, that's not what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to think about it. Now his father-in-law, and a guy that's been a spiritual father to me, Noel Campbell, again, some of you know Noel, a man of prayer. And Noel taught Joe how to pray. And eventually Noel taught me how to pray. And I'm telling you, it provoked me when he said, were you prepared before this storm hit in your life? Or was it just a reaction to the panic you were in? And the truth was, I was not prepared, and I knew it. I want to give you a little revelation. It's not very, it's not very profound. It's about as profound as peanut butter, but here it is. You are going to face hardship, suffering, trials, betrayal in your life. You are. In fact, just for fun, how many of you have faced betrayal at some level in your life so far? Let me just see. Raise your hand. Look, look around the room. Everybody, at some level... We have been betrayed. We face that hardship and that struggle. It's just part of life on planet Earth that we humans disappoint and let each other down sometimes. And the question I want to rock your world with today, at least initially, is are you prepared? If you knew tomorrow that a huge chunk of space junk was going to land on your house, you knew it, somehow they told you that NASA called you up and said, We're on, we have trajectory of this big thing that's entering the, the solar system, and it's going to land on at your house, at your address, and you knew that was coming. What would you do today? You would pull out everything you possibly could. You'd start with the family photos and the stuff you care about and the things you're sentimental about, and, and you'd take your dog, maybe, and your, you know, you'd, your cat, unless you were me, but... <laughs> You would, you, would, you would prepare. My point is, it's silly, but you would, if you knew it was coming, you would do something to get ready for it. Guys, listen to me. I'm not being negative. I'm being real. Trouble's coming. Some point, somewhere down the road, you're going to be in a storm again. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month. I don't know when. I don't know how long that storm's going to last. But the question is, are you prepared in advance for it? And here's my, my absolute conviction is that when we invest time in conversation with God, also called prayer, 
when we invest time in him, when we've prepared our heart, our mind, and our soul to handle the agony of life, the agony of rejection and personal disappointment when it comes, when we prepare for that, we're going to deal with it a lot better. In fact, the only way to truly know the value of prayer is to experience the power of prayer. Let me say it again. The only way for you to truly know the value of prayer, and honestly, and again, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, so if you feel like I'm looking at you, I'm not. But the only way for you to truly know the value of prayer, for it to become something that you want to do, not feel like you have to do, or you just do over your meal a couple times a day. For the only way for you to truly experience the value of prayer is for you to experience the power of prayer. And that only happens when you pray. Duh. You have to pray. And my prayer for you is that you will be prepared in advance by spending, investing time with God the Father in prayer before the storms come. All right, let's move on. Here's the second thing. What do you do when you've been betrayed? Number two, respond rather than react. And man, this is so hard to do. A lot easier to talk about than it is to do. I will admit to you, I am a reactor. Uh, I, I, uh, I react frequently. When I'm hit, I hit back, and I hit back harder. And I grew up in a home, you know, there's the fight or flight thing. I grew up when it was always fight. And uh, when I got scared, something happened to me, man, I... I pounded back. My, I have two younger brothers and a baby sister, and my brothers and I, we thought it was fun, sick, sick, dysfunctional family. We thought it was fun to scare each other. I mean, to just terrorize each other. We would look for opportunities, and the worse the scare, the more fun we had, we would look for opportunities to jump out behind, you know, a, a, a doors, to jump out of the closet. We always talked about the boogeyman. You know, we would do anything. I kid you not. In fact, if my sister were here right now, she would probably be watching this later today. She could tell you this is absolutely true. Once upon a time, I was about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years of age. I don't remember how old. But my sister was little. She's like five years younger than me. And I knew the, the routine. My mama always brought her and put her in the bed and kissed her. You never did that for the boys. But always brought my sister in and tucked her in and, and said, honey, I love you. Give her a kiss on the forehead. Well, I knew this was coming, so guess what I did? I hid underneath her bed. You can see it coming, huh? I hid under her bed. I waited for, you know, the disgusting gag me with a spoon. My mom giving her all her little loves and cuddles and, and I love you, sweetheart. You're so precious to me and you mean so much to me and the brothers. Anyhow, so I, she did all that and then she said, okay, good night, son. She turned off the light, left the room and, and within a minute or so, I reached up and grabbed my sister's arm. I, it was awesome. <laughs> she screamed. She literally peed and left a little puddle in bed. I'm laughing, and my dad came in, dragged me out of underneath that bed, and beat me within an inch of my life. That's one of the reasons why I remember this. You know, I, somebody does that to me, though, I react. At Life Center, they found out that, and please don't become that, this person, but Life Center, the staff used to love to scare me all the time. And the guys especially, one guy, Chaz, would just love to hide behind doors. And one day, one day I walked, walked into the, the building, opened up the door. Chaz was right there and jumped out at me. And I punched him as hard as I could on the chest. I knew it was just a reaction. I didn't think about it. I mean, he jumped and I, bam! Chaz never did that again. I'm a reactor. I admit it to you. Sometimes I'm a nuclear reactor. But apparently... Uh, one of the disciples was too because he pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of the high priest servant's ear, uh, the right, right ear. Matthew 26, 51, 52 says, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out a sword and struck the high priest's ear, slashing off his ear. 
Look at verse 52. Jesus, put away your sword. Jesus told him, those who use the sword will die by the sword. Heard that phrase before? Live by the sword, die by the sword? Guess where it came from? Jesus said, no, let's not react in this situation. Don't go there. Now, it might be natural to react, but I'm going to tell you today, it's always better to respond. Write it down if you're taking notes. I know you might be like me. It's, it's just normal. It's what I do. It might be normal. It might be natural. But it's always better to respond rather than react. And it's something some of us have to learn how to do. Here's the third thing. What do you do when betrayed? Number three, see the big picture and stay the course. See the bigger picture. After this brief reaction of this disciple of Jesus who cut off the ear of the high priest's slave, Jesus makes this amazing statement for all to hear, Matthew 26, 53 to 54. Jesus says, don't you guys realize, and I think he's turning to the disciples, gentlemen, guys, put your swords down. Don't you realize that I could ask the Father for thousands of angels to come to protect us, legions of angels, and he would send them instantly just like that. And I listen to verse 54. He says, but, it did, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus saw the big picture. First, he saw nothing's going to happen to me without the Father's, you know, work, without his approval, without, if I wanted to, I could ask God, he would send thousands of angels, and this would all be over. But he said, beyond that, don't you understand that this has to happen for the scriptures to be fulfilled? It was prophesied that he would be rejected, prophesied that he would be betrayed, prophesied that he would die. And Jesus, in the midst of his great, great agony and pain, again, see the picture here. It's an ugly scene. A lot of people, swords, clubs, it's tense. The guy just got his ear cut off. Jesus healed it. All this is going on. And Jesus says, guys, wait a minute. You've got to step back and see the bigger picture. One of the hardest things to do, and I know it's hard. Believe me, I'm owning this. I know it's hard. One of the hardest things to do when we've been hurt by betrayal is to step back and to see beyond the pain, the pain that we're in right at the moment. It's normal to focus all our energy and our attention at our point of pain. It's normal. When we're physically hurt, every fiber of our being is, pays attention to that part of us that's physically hurt. You drop a rock on your toe. All you're thinking about at that moment is your toe. You cut yourself, maybe your finger, slicing tomatoes for tacos, whatever it is, every fiber of your being pays attention to ah, that, that source of pain. It's normal for us to focus there. I get that. And when we're emotionally wounded, it's overwhelmingly consuming. It's the, the emotional pain is worse sometimes than physical pain. It consumes us. It's what we think about all day long. It's what we're tossing and turning about in the middle of the night. It's what we wake up thinking about first thing in the morning. I understand. And so does King David. King David, you know his story, and I don't have time to, to unpack it today, but here's a guy that was betrayed by his own son. And that's a pretty painful experience. Betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41 talks about how he was betrayed by a friend, someone who ate at his table. And David, knowing the experience, and the devastation, rejection of of betrayal, he wrote these words in Psalms 6, 3. He says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, O oh Lord, how long? My soul is in deep anguish. In Psalm 25, 17, David says, relieve the troubles of my heart. God, relieve them and free me from this anguish. David knew the pain of betrayal. But somehow, if you look at the Psalms, you see that David always backed out of that and was able to, to end his Psalms, even the, his worst moments with, but I will trust in God. Yes, this has happened, but I will hope in you, O oh God. That's a man who backed up and saw the big picture. I know 
how difficult it is for some of you. I have a dear friend who uh, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, her husband of almost 35 years uh, left her for a younger model, for another woman. And some of you have been there. You know how painful that is. It broke her heart. It broke her spirit. It was the hardest thing she'd ever gone through in her life. But what I remember about her and that experience was something she told me that I'll never forget. Because she, she said to me, she looked me in the eyes, she said, with tears in her eyes, she said, Kurt, I've never known more pain. I have never been this hurt. And in her sobs then, she says, but you know what? I've never been as close as I am right now to Jesus. I've never known his presence in my life like I do right now. That's a woman who was able to step back somehow by the grace of God to see that there's someone bigger in her life, someone who will never leave her or forsake her, someone who loves her no matter what. You see, she discovered something that I want you to discover today, if you haven't already, that no matter what happens here in this world at this time, this life is not the end of the story. Now, I know when you're in the midst of pain, I know it's hard to hear you know, don't talk to me about the sweet by and by, what I'm in the sucky here and now. I don't want to hear it. I understand how difficult that is. But guys, when we step back and we remember this, the Bible declares that a day is coming when all pain, all sorrow of this life. will be gone forever. That's good news. Revelation 21, 4 says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. A day is coming when God, I don't know how, but he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. I don't want to belittle the suffering, the pain, the agony that you've been in, that you are in right now. But I want to remind you that that's not eternal. That that pain you're in, that suffering you're in, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. And so I want to encourage you today, try hard, ask God for his help to see the bigger picture and to choose to stay the course until that day comes. All right, one more thing in terms of dealing with when we've been betrayed. Number four, forgive like your life depends on it. Forgive like your life depends on it. I teach on forgiveness around here on a regular basis. Why? Because we have lots of opportunity to practice this in our lives. And it's something we have to learn, we have to develop. I won't linger here very long, but I cannot talk about betrayal without talking about forgiveness. I can't. I can't. You see, the worst thing that can happen to someone that has been betrayed is that they live the rest of their life angry, bitter, and resentful over what's happened to them. Betrayal is hard. It's not fair. It hurts. I know. But it is even more tragic, trust me, it's even worse, more tragic when someone becomes embittered and poisoned for the rest of their life. That's who they become. That's what marks them. That's their life for the rest of their existence on planet Earth. And it's, they become embittered with something that they had no control over. Do you really want to be controlled by something that was done to you? And I hope the answer is no. Or would you rather control your attitude and choose to forgive and I hope the answer is yes. You've heard it said, it's a quote that's pretty common nowadays, forgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. 
Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's like, okay, I'm, I, I'm not going to let them, I'm not, I'm gonna hold, they're going to suffer. And the person who suffers is us. I know it seems crazy, but it's the way too many choose to live. And sadly, the life that ends up being most affected by unforgiveness is ours, your life. And God doesn't want you to stay there. And that's why he says, choose. And what I don't feel like it doesn't have a lot to do with feelings initially. Feelings will follow. You make the choice. You cry out to God, say, oh, God, help me to do the right thing here, to forgive as I've been forgiven. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if, you have any, if any of you have grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then I am always amazed at the words of Jesus. Luke 23, 34, Jesus on the cross makes this incredible statement, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They don't understand what they're doing. Forgive them. Jesus led the way. And his ways to forgive like our life depends on it. Like it depends. And so when we've been betrayed, forgive as we've been forgiven. Well, let me briefly talk about, well, what if you are the betrayer? I I won't spend much time on this, but reality is a lot of us have been wounded. We can relate to what I've talked about so far, but sometimes we are the ones that have actually done the betraying. We're the ones that are the offenders. And again, here's another little fact. I mentioned it earlier. I'll say it again. I believe this. We all blow it from time to time, and all of us at some level have betrayed or will betray others around us. What does it mean to betray? It doesn't mean necessarily that you kiss them and lead them off to the cross, you know, that there's some physical death they're going to experience, but it means that you, you didn't do something you said you would do or you did something you said you wouldn't. Does that sound like betrayal? Go like this. It is. It's at some point where you didn't follow through. You, did, you broke a promise. You broke a vow. You didn't come through and do what you said you, you would do. And all of us, again, at some level do that. And the question is, when we do... How we deal with that failure is critical to our spiritual health. And the answer is found in this one simple but powerful phrase. We must repent and return to God's path. It's the last bullet on your outline. What do we do when we are the offenders? We've got to repent and return to God's path. Now, I know those, that R&R phrase is not as popular as rest and relaxation. That's, that's not the R&R we like to hear about. But we have to come to this point where we realize when I blow it, and I will, the, the right thing, the godly thing, the holy thing, the righteous thing for me to do is to repent, to turn from that, and to return to God and his path for my life. Now, if you read on in the story of Judas, uh, Matthew 27, you find that Judas regretted his actions. And this always amazed me. Even as a kid reading the story, I was always, wow. This is a guy, he, he seriously regretted. He truly did have remorse over his decision to betray Jesus. But I, guys, listen to me. This is so important that you hear this. Remorse and regret are no substitution for repentance. Feeling bad about something is not the end it, it, it result of the end thing you need to engage in. Remorse and regret are no substitution for true repentance. In fact, remorse is a horrible place to stick, get stuck because it only leads to death. Judas went out and hung himself. Guilt and shame without humble repentance always ends poorly. Mark it down. Guilt and shame without true, humble repentance always ends poorly. Years ago when I was at Life Center, I worked with the family for a while. Their high school kid was always in trouble. Stealing things, breaking things, getting busted. I mean, he was always in trouble with school, with the law, over and over again. And, and, 
And what amazed me, and it took me a little while to figure this out because I'm a little slow sometimes. This kid always, he'd cry, he'd get caught. I feel so bad, I'm so, so sorry. And he, he'd always expressed remorse, regret over what he'd done. Or at least maybe regret over getting caught. But he always had that attitude of, I feel so bad. But for a long time, in fact, it took him a long time. His parents, thank God they were patient with him. But it took him a long time for him to come to a place where it wasn't just about feeling bad or remorse, but it was about repentance. There was a point in his life where he finally realized, I've got to stop going there, and I've got to go here. I've got to follow Jesus. Many years after this, inc this incident in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 3.9, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And again, that is such great news for all of us, guys. God is patient. How many of you are glad God is patient with us? God is patient with you. But here's the heart of God. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It is my deep conviction that even Judas, and I don't know how you feel about this, but guys, listen, I believe even Judas, if he had truly repented, if he had truly not just felt bad about what he did, not just had remorse about what he did, but truly came back to God with humble repentance, that God would have embraced him and that even Jesus would have embraced him. At, th at that moment, if, rather than taking matters into his own hands and ending his life, I believe if Judas had chosen to embrace the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God, it would have been his. And so when you have been betrayed by others, forgive. When you are the betrayer, get forgiven. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, I am so amazed at the way you went through that whole experience of betrayal. That there was not anger or bitterness. You did not get mean. You did not react. But Jesus, even in the midst of hanging on the cross, you cried out, Father, forgive them. Your heart has been so amazing towards us. And Lord, I pray for the many in this room or the many watching online who have been betrayed. And today I've stirred up some things with this talk and things that they, they were trying to forget, things that they're trying to get past, past experiences that have been so devastating to them. Lord, I don't want them to leave here today discouraged. I don't want them to leave here today uh, frustrated again. I don't want them leaving here today in despair over what has happened to them, where they've been betrayed. I pray today, Lord, that you'd help them to, to be able to see it differently than they perhaps have before. And that somehow in the midst of this, God, they would choose to forgive as they've been forgiven, to let it go, to not carry that anymore, to step back and to believe that a day is coming when all their tears, all their sorrow, all their pain is going to be gone forever but that they would choose today, Lord, to step back into grace, into your arms, into your care, and that they would be free, set free. And Lord, for all of us who have betrayed others, and Lord, we've all betrayed you. Like Peter and Judas and all the disciples, we've all, at some point, we rejected you, we've turned our back on you. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. And help us to walk in that grace that you provided so, so, so freely. In fact, keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you've not started your walk as a Christ follower, and you know that you need the grace of God in your life. You want his forgiveness. You're ready to say yes to God, to surrender your life to him. You're ready to, to own your own stuff, your sin, 
and to receive that free gift of salvation, then make this prayer, my words, yours right now. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. I have betrayed you. I have gone my own way. And today, right here, I choose to repent and to return to you. I repent of my way, of my sin, of my life, of all the stupid things I've done. And God, right here in this moment, I, I'm coming home. I'm coming to you. I'm returning to you. I want to be in relationship with you. Now, the Bible says the minute you choose that, and if that's your desire, just in your heart, say, yeah, God, ah, oh, man, that's what I need. That's what I want. The minute you do, then you're on that path towards returning to him. And, and you are his child. You are redeemed, the Bible says. You, you're made new. It's the miracle of grace that he does in our hearts when we come to him. And it's so much better than carrying it on our own or trying to deal with it on our own. And for those of you making that decision right now, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I've started. I'm beginning my life following you right now. Lord, for those making that decision, bless them. Show them what it means. Encourage them. And let them see that today they are new in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. It's a great song. It's a song. Of, I really want you to turn this into a prayer to the Father today. We're going to give. Uh, if you've got the uh, communication card, drop that in. Let me say one quick thing about our giving today. Uh, last couple of weekends, Labor Day weekend, last weekend, did offering in a different place. We're a little behind this month. I'm not, that's not saying that. If you're, if you're a guest, don't feel obligated at all. But this is your church home. Give today and support what God's doing here. We need you to support our ministry. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Some of you today for the first time are able to sing that with truth because God began his life in you from the inside out. And if that's you, I encourage you to tell somebody, let them know. We want to walk with you. We want to help you. This is the beginning of a long journey into eternity. And you're going to need the body of Christ, the others around you to support you. So let us know. The table's by the doors in the back. And there's some packages for new Christians on. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started to walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. Prayer team will be down front if you need prayer today, if you'd like communion, on both sides of the room. But listen, before you go, here's my, my admonition, my encouragement to you. This week, when you're hurt, when you're betrayed, when you're wounded, may you forgive as you've been forgiven. And when you're the offender, may you get forgiven because of his grace. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.